Welcome, everyone, to the newest episode of Here in Puckburg on the Hockey Podcast Network. I am your host, Kyle Sullivan, a.k.a. Shaggy Von Doom, with another episode of Puck Tales. Woo! <laughs> and the you-know-who at the other end of the woo-hoo is none other than Derek Felska. Yep. He is... Don't adjust your YouTube screens or your audio dial. That's right. He's a Minnesota Wild fan. Yeah, it means you're somewhere between denial and alcoholism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you have the state of hockey. I mean, what more do you want? Yeah, we, we also have Hockey Town USA and Warroad, too. Um, <laughs> I always want to say that because, you know, Detroit co-opted it in the 90s, but Warroad had been calling itself that since 1955. And as a Minnesotan who's very provincial, like most Minnesotans are, uh, hey, it's our it's it's our it's our territory back off you know stay off my yard and uh this is a disadvantage to all of those that are not watching on youtube right now right behind derek he has nhl 97 on this right. on the screen and that game was absolutely pivotal for me growing up and knowing the game of hockey yeah, I I think video games are a way a lot of people enter into hockey. Um, I I thought it would be just cool to have it up there. I personally I would rather have NHL '94. Yeah. Um, but my Sega CD is hooked up on a different television, uh, so I, I I threw NHL '97 on there because uh, honestly, one of the the things that kind of made me fall in love with NHL hockey, especially after the North Stars left Minnesota, was Believe it or not, the, the 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 Stanley Cup run for I know you guys would for Colorado that was your opening time, but it was actually Florida. Um, Interesting. And the reason was I while I liked the Avalanche to an extent because they were the Nordiques, and you know I kind of felt that Nordiques pain became your gain. Um, was I really liked the out of nowhere thing that Florida had. I mean, they were not a team that probably scared anybody, but they just worked their asses off and um, they paid a heavy price, but it, you know, by the time they got there, I think they were pretty much exhausted. Yeah. And, you know, the avalanche star power, uh, you know, rose above and, and came away with the, the sweep. Yeah, that that Avalanche team that met Florida in that in those Cup finals in that Cup final. Um, it the Avalanche, of course, with the Nordiques, what they were building there. Um, I feel like it's definitely Florida ran out of gas. Like it was kind of a really good team that kind of bonded together and really got to that moment. It was like a a very hot year compared to some a slow build of what Quebec was building and then just relocated to Colorado. And Florida was, fell victim to what Quebec was building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, jealously, and again, this is kind of where the this might surprise you. 
after the North Stars left, of course, a lot of people wanted the NHL back. And mm-hmm. any team that was rumored to be a potential relocation, we became kind of passive fans of. You know, we're like going, we're looking at the Nordiques, and of course, they're at this time they were bad, and they were they were racking up all these really high end players that were young. And you're going, come on, come on, come to come to Minnesota, you know? Or you know, it was it was true with the Nordiques. It was true with the Winnipeg Jets, which yeah. were were which, which were talked about. The Hartford Whalers, in fact. There's a there's a pretty cool old video called Norm Green Sucks, and it's it's a it's a it's a great time capsule because it was a a guy who just walked around with his video camera, talking to North Stars fans like probably in the last month or a few weeks of the season, just asking for their two cents on Norm Green, which of course they all had a lot of colorful things to say about the cool. guy who we felt left you know stole the team or took the team from Minnesota to Dallas. But one of the things that said in there, the guy was, maybe we'll get the Whalers. I mean, that that was kind of like a hope to, you know, as a lifeboat that maybe we'll, the NHL would return a little bit sooner. Um, you know, but alas, everyone went someplace else instead. And we had to wait, of course, until 2000 when the Wild came back. But, and, you know. And also during that time, I believe the Vikings were up for sale. Yeah, well, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of reasons to that. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings uh, wanted to leave the Metrodome. And the little known fact that people don't talk about was during the probably like the early 90s when the Vikings were a good team, but not great, which is kind of eternally the Minnesota Vikings in a lot of ways. Um, their general manager somehow got the deal for all the concessions in the Metrodome. So the own so and that passed on once you know the team changed hand to different owners. Well, that's a huge revenue stream, and they yeah. wanted it. But this ex-general manager of the Vikings was banking all the money, so they wanted to get the heck out of the Metrodome because it, they weren't making as much money as they could. So that was always the debate about getting a new stadium and threatening to move the team, and that was like twenty years in Minnesota. Not, not even, I'm not exaggerating at all. It was 20 years of will they or won't they. Cause I, I remember, cause at that time I was living in right outside of Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah. And, uh, that was the rumor was Birmingham's about to buy and take the Vikings. Yeah. And, there, there was a businessman that did like a, they went down there and took a look at it. Um, there were other places that they did that too. And the Vikings are really, you know, at least fans were were fearful of that. And you have to remember, too, you know, the early 90s was the recession. Yep. It was it was not a time to start building stadiums. And that played a role in the North Stars leaving, too, because they just built the Target Center for the Timberwolves. Um, And the last thing anyone wanted to do was spend another hundred million dollars to build a new arena. Um, Yeah, the Met Center was old, but at the same time, people were like, we don't have the money for this. And of course, right across the street from the Met Center was the Mall of America being built. And that was already over budget on its own. Yeah. And because I remember that time very vividly because it kind of went hand in hand, it, like to an outsider, especially living in Birmingham. You're like, what is going mm-hmm. on? You're watching the North Stars leave. And then you hear all this unrest with the Vikings. And it stood out to me because during that time, like I was still younger, but I remember you could go to the store and like, I think gas stations. Yeah. That's where it was. You could buy oh. like Vikings hats with yeah. no ta- like team name on it. 
yeah. it was just the Vikings logo, and they're mm-hmm. trying to generate interest. And I'm like, yeah. wow, because Alabama still to this day does not have a professional team. So, of oh. course, that would uh, drive interest just to have some kind of professional team in Birmingham. Yeah, and it's all, let's face it, it's all about the posturing. Um, You know, in in the late 90s, too, another team that uh, flirted with coming to Minnesota for the NHL was the Edmonton Oilers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Peter Pocklington was looking to, uh, you know, I guess put a little leverage against the city of Edmonton to, to either sell the team or whatnot, and he came to Minnesota. And he's like, I don't know. I might be interested in moving to Minnesota. And we're all like, yes, yes, yes. Come here. And it really was just a ploy just to bilk some more money and sell the team. So I think a lot of cities get used like that. I mean, look at Hartford and the New England New England Patriots. My and- my, my wife was going to the University of uh, Hartford at the time. And, and, and Hartford jumped in with both feet like, yes, we'll take the Patriots. Yeah. And it was really just a sucker's bet to get a stadium in Boston. And it's it's funny, it like all comes full circle now because any team with any kind of financial problem, it's immediately rumored they're moved to Quebec. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's pointing towards Quebec now that Vegas has crossed off the list. It's now Quebec is and they and they lost the team. And now yeah. you're just playing with that fan base, and I feel bad for them because oh, there I don't or see them getting a team for quite some time. And and that's terrible to me. It really is. Um, especially given the circumstances in Arizona where it is an abject embarrassment that they're playing in a 5,000-seat college arena for what might be two, maybe even, maybe even for the foreseeable future. And that, you know, that's a market that the NHL is saying, well, we'll just let it sit there when – you know, other markets like Atlanta or what's like that. Nope, we're moving them. You know, nope, yeah. we're going to move them. And I've been to Quebec. Um, my wife and I went there, it was a while ago, about 15 years ago. And we went to the Colisee Pepsi with all the old uh, Nordiques banners. Uh, Patrick Waugh, uh, we went to a junior game, the Quebec Rum Parts, which he's mm-hmm. an owner of. And he kind of, I don't know, you'll probably be proud of this as an Avalanche fan. He kind of kind of stood up in the owner's box like he was uh benito mussolini like il duce sitting there stoically looking like you're not gonna call a penalty on my team yeah and that, uh that, that was a blast but but i mean there's still a ton of passion there and you know now they built what the videotron center and it's a beautiful facility and and yet the nhl seems to have little or no interest in moving back and it seems like a shame when you've seen some of the success stories and now, you know, you know, look at Minnesota. I know people, um, you know, sure. The attendance for the North stars at the end was, was not great. And that played a role into it. And that's a whole in their story unto itself. But the, tr- the, the, the second story of course, is how successful it was when it came back. Yeah. Same thing with Winnipeg, you know, they lost their team. It's been fantastic since it's back. Does it always work out? No. Look at Atlanta. <laughs> they lost the flames. They get the thrashers. No, the strikes, they're probably done. But but still, I think I think there's a reason. I think you want hockey where it's going to be enjoyed. And out of the three teams that kind of came back around that time, like Nashville, Columbus, and Minnesota, yep. like you, Minnesota, just the way it launched and how the team was comprised, it it has that feel like they've been around forever. Like people forget, like the Ottawa Senators have not been around forever. 
but it feels like they have been because yeah. kind of the the histories merge and you feel like they could be an original six team but they're really not they're very new um mm. it's this it's the same thing with the wild they have that that feel like they've been around forever and it's i think it's because there's so much reverence for the history of hockey in minnesota oh immensely and and the wild were very clever at not pretending as though that previous history didn't exist um in the wild's early marketing like the intro video they showed footage of the north stars they showed footage of this minnesota fighting saints of the West, you know, the World Hockey Association. I know, you know, since you lived in Birmingham, the Bulls were their 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 last professional hockey team in yep. Birmingham, Alabama. Um, some hilarious stories about the Bulls and the Fighting Saints because they love to beat the crap out of each other, literally and figuratively. Um, Steve Dubano, anyway, we're talking to you. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> the Carlsons, uh, <laughs> Gord Gallant. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but still. Um, you know, Minnesota is a very passionate hot fan base. Um, probably one of the unusual things about it is that if you go to a wild game, you'll see tons and tons of North Stars sweaters because yeah. that that team is very much loved. When, of course, when the Wild did their retro reviews, reverse jersey, it was definitely an homage to the North Stars. And I can tell you for a fact, if the Wild were to change their colors to the North Stars colors, it would win hands down. Yeah. Um, there's, I know there's a segment of the fan base, especially the older parts that love the North stars that would much rather see green and gold than green and red. And I know the wild probably tried to avoid it, but you know, we love those colors <laughs> and yeah. there's still a, there's still a huge connection to that. And Minnesota had Gordon Bombay. I mean, he played for the oh. way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, ha- he could have had such a great career. And it just didn't happen, so he had to coach a D D five team. Yeah, poor guy. Poor I, Gordon Bombay. I I'll admit I'm a little older, so that's a movie that, as you kind of noticed by my reaction, since you can't see it if you're not watching the YouTube, I rolled my eyes pretty heavily <laughs> at that. I hate the Mighty Ducks. I'm yeah. slap shot, old school guy like that all the way, but. I know, you know, the funny thing is in Minnesota, especially if you're from the Twin Cities, it seems like everybody knew somebody that was somehow an extra in that movie. Yeah, I, I could imagine. Like my ex-fiance was a person that sat in the crowd of Mighty Ducks 2. And she's like, you could see me. And so we watched the stupid movie to see see like her head for like two seconds. I don't know. It's I'm, like everyone has a story like that in Minnesota. It's kind of funny. And everybody's going to put it in their social media bio. Extra oh, yeah. in D1, the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's my claim to fame. You get your voter registration card and your SAG card because you're an extra in the Mighty Ducks yeah. movies. Yeah. <laughs> well, for a time there in the early 90s, Minnesota was kind of a, I don't want to say, it was kind of a little mini spot for movies. They made like Reality Bites. There was a bunch of movies that ended up having scenes in Minnesota for whatever reason. I think even a scene in, well, uh, I, I know there's a couple different movies that actually featured hockey too. I know like some that even had Minnesota in the title, like the movie Feeling Minnesota and whatnot. But yeah, they've shot a lot of movies in, in that area for a little brief period of time. Now, we've talked about kind of like the midpoint. What 
other than being born in Minnesota, and I think it's in the tap water that you must be a fan of the game of hockey. What got you into the game of hockey? Uh, easy to say is my, my dad. Um, mm. My dad was a, he, he's an, he grew up in a time, like one thing that we don't always think about, I guess, maybe today, like where kids go to indoor rinks is that for most Minnesota kids, it's all about being on the frozen lakes and ponds or like the local frozen sheet outdoors. And um, he got me a pair of skates, I think when I was like four or five years old. And, you know, he takes you, you know, we, uh, in my hometown of Elk River, there's a a place called the pit. Um, It's a dug in earthen stadium. And it has this old warming house that's from like the 1920s. And you'd go in there and it's like living history. You put your skates on, it's cold as hell and you would just skate literally till you know pretty much they would shut the lights off on you and even then sometimes you'd keep trying to play in and it sounds very it sounds very romanticized but that's literally what it was and you'd be playing pickup games with the neighborhood kids and I don't know um but my dad kind of instilled it into me because he he did that when he was a kid and um there was no, in his town, there was no organized hockey. That was, it was just pickup games. Um, and for a lot of places, it was that way. It wasn't until about the sixties that organized play and arenas started being built where people were playing, you know, longer parts of the year other than just the seasonal kind of thing. But it definitely was kind of a, you know, it's definitely, like you said, it's in, it's more in the tap water. I think it's really ingrained through your blood, you know? Yeah. I I could see that. Like, because it's, I know as an Avalanche fan, mm-hmm. we always like to make fun of Minnesota in every way we can. And because it's just what you do. That rivalry, since the Red Wings rivalry has, you know, it's not as potent as it used to be. We have to find somebody to hate. And because of that game seven, Minnesota is public enemy number one. So mm-hmm. I, I, I can't remember a preseason game the two teams have had where there's not been a fight between the two. But we'll get to the NHL fandom in a little bit. But when it comes to Minnesota being the quote-unquote state of hockey, it does feel very generational. And I mentioned earlier, like that reverence for the game that Minnesota Mm -hmm. took when it came to the Wild. I feel like that's also handled with everybody from Minnesota. There's like a reverence to the game and a general natural cultivation of the game. Yeah. Um, You know, I think people connect to it in a number of different ways. Uh, Youth. High school hockey is its own huge giant unto itself. And there are definitely groups of fans that high school hockey is all they care about. You know, yeah. they the the pros, college hockey doesn't matter as much to them. And then there's a the college hockey niche where they're all about the Big Ten and the NCHC and the CCHA now, not the WCHA. Yeah. And um, which most Minnesotans love the WCHA and wish it never left. But anyways, that's a whole different story. But, you know, through it all, hockey has just become a bigger thing. And now, you know, especially the last 20 plus years, girls and women's hockey has been just absolutely exploding in popularity in Minnesota. And the quality of it, you know, having since I'm an older person, I'm I'll say it out. I don't really care. I'm 44. uh, The first high school hockey started I think in 1995 when I was a sophomore in high school and you know 
for a lot of girls at the time, they were just learning how to play then. Now, mm -hmm. 20 years down the road, all those girls have been grown up playing hockey since they were like three-year-olds, just like the boys. And the, the skill improvement is just unbelievable. Um, and you have the white caps there. Oh, the caps have been a great inspiration, but they've been around for 20 plus years. Yeah. You know, yeah. long, long before there really was even a league, they were playing anybody that was willing to play college teams, um, other kinds of kind of sort of club teams like they used to be. Um, a woman actually from my hometown uh, named uh, Sue Ring Jarvie was really kind of the one, along with a couple other women, started really the pro, the, the white caps and, it's be, it's been an institution for over 20 years in the state. So it wasn't something that had to be manufactured. It was already there. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and that's, that's, that says, you know, it's kind of speaks to what you said, you know, that it's, it's already woven into the fabric of the state. And I can imagine with the wild coming back, only just sending that into like a fever pitch and like, not going to lie, even though I wear the colors I do and I have the colors behind me that I do, that stadium series game, those jerseys. Mm. Mm. The the stadium series ones. Yes. Not, the, as a, as a, as opposed to the uh, winter classic ones. Or am I? Yeah, the winter classic. Yeah, the against the blues. Yeah, the winter classic ones. Yes. I thought those were better than the ones from the stadium series. Um, although the I, I was St. Paul on the crest. Yep. Yep. And, and this is Minneapolis St. Paul. Yeah. I, yeah. I thought they were gloves. Yeah, the only thing I hated were the the stupid elbow patches. They look like a bad college professor, you know, like with <laughs> a tweed jacket. I didn't understand that one because nobody does that. That was kind of dumb. But the rest of it was, I thought it was solid. Yeah, I, I felt like it was their way of trying to really tie in that retro feel of it. And I was like, you know, that really wasn't that big of a thing. But I, I know what you're trying to do there. Mm-hmm. Definitely yeah. better than, uh, definitely better than the Blues. And definitely better than anything Colorado has put on the ice anytime they've gone outdoors. We, they have not been any good jerseys from Colorado. Except, yeah. you know, the, uh, the Utah, the, uh, the reverse retros that we wore, those are nice, but like, I'm not a fan of anything we've had outside yet. Yeah. I, that, you know, you bring up the reverse retros. That's something where I felt like the wild didn't wear it often enough. I know the fans wanted to see it. And uh, at the time with COVID, um, the the wild fans in didn't really get the chance to see them in attendance. Yeah. So by the, you know, the, they were just starting to open up the arenas a little bit more where they had like three and 4,000 people and they never had it. They never had them on when you had a full arena, which I thought was kind of unfair in a way. And, you, and with the reverse retros, Coming back for what I guess they're calling a 2.0. Yep. Um, and this also being Adidas's last year with the mm -hmm. jersey, do you expect to see those jerseys a little bit more? I hope so. Although the Wild seem to be, like I said, I thought they could have wore them more, but I'm guessing they chose not to for whatever reason. Yeah, because the Avalanche, and I will bring them up every chance I get. If I'm talking to a Minnesota Wild fan, I have to. It's in my my fan contract to bring up the avalanche every breath, but um, okay. uh, the Avs they had their third Jersey. Uh, they mm -hmm. were for divisional matchups. Um, the ones that we play every time, like the blue, like Rockies kind of themed one. Yeah. And I, 
it, going into that season, I thought it would be a perfect time to put those like on pause and then introduce mm-hmm. the reverse retro as your third. And I thought that should have been something league wide, but yeah. I guess. I... And now a word from our sponsors. The action never ends at the DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you could fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. You make a bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash it in. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You could throw down on all the major action from baseball, golf, MMA, and much more. Plus... With same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use promo code THPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code THPN. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. And now we resume our regularly scheduled program here in Buckburg, live in living color for your ear holes. This is why they don't pay me to come up with smart jersey decisions in the NHL. So mm-hmm. I'm just a podcaster. Um, but I, it, it was very head scratching to me that you only saw a very select few amount of times. And then that was it. Mm hmm. And I would also say, since you're talking about jerseys, they stopped making them pretty quickly. And mm-hmm. I know for a fact there's a lot of people, like myself included, I was waiting for them to continue to issue them, and I guess I missed out, which I, annoys me. <laughs> I have two of the Avalanche Reverse Retros. Was is mm-hmm. a Kadri. That's aged well. And I have a mm-hmm. Joe Sackick. So timeless. Be timeless. Yep. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, and also, you know what? Now, this is fun that I get the chance to pick the brain of a Minnesota Wild fan. Um, I know you mentioned the colors and, of course, the running joke of it looks like Christmas Subway. Oh, okay. uh, the, the reverse retro. Oh, yeah. Everybody said it was the Subway logo. Oh, I'll get to the... That, it's funny you bring that up because I, I call Minnesota the Christmas tree sweaters, but Mm-hmm. Do you is there anything you wish Minnesota would improve or do when it comes to this next reverse retro? Because I know the Avalanche are going to do a Rockies themed, mm-hmm. which is a problem all on its own. That's not really our history. That's New Jersey's yeah. history. But uh, what do I know? Um, what do you think Minnesota should do? Well, at least the rumor that I've heard that it's just going to be the green North Stars jersey. Mm. It'll be it'll be a it'll be a yellow. Um, I think wild logo on the green Jersey. So it'll be like the, the white shoulders, green base, 
And then like I think the yellow and black stripe, like the nineteen like the nineteen ninety one Stanley mm-hmm. Cup run Star uh, North Stars, which again that'll probably go over very very well um, with with fans. You know, I personally me I would love to see them do a, a a color shift and go to that because I I don't think you're really disrespecting the Minnesota Wild and I know originally it was very kitschy with like all the names of the different colors on our jersey. I don't know if you know this, but it's like forest green, harvest like harvest uh it's that's kind of like the off whitish color that we have or whatever mm-hmm. it's called harvest wheat and i don't know it kind of makes me realize you know we don't need to brand everything but that's what they did and that was their way to bring things together but you know i i know there's also a segment that really resists that they're like no no we're the wild it's something different but oh well I don't I, know, i'm an I, older I, person see i i also am in that same mindset when it comes to the wild and kind of tying the two together, the history and bringing it forward and Minnesota as an identity, because when they kind of started, when they first started, they were very heavy on the reliance of that green and red, green and red. Those are Uh your colors. Those are your primaries. And then it was like the 2010s. They started playing around with green and white. It's a lot of green and white heavy. Like you start getting more white primary, like Mm -hmm. shirts and like the hoodies and, it's like yeah. green and white primary. And I was like, are they, is this where they're going to start to segue into a color change? Because it's not as red dominant as it used to be. Yeah, possibly. I, I, I can tell you this. Uh, the Iowa Wild already have a white and green jersey mm-hmm. where it just says wild and like the script, like the Minnesota style script that they have, which is that kind of cursive kind of thing. Um, I think that looks really sharp myself. Yeah, I do too. Um it looks really clean, which is something traditionalists typically like. And I don't know, to me, I, I've, I've never liked, like, even when we had a red Jersey as basically our home or, or either alternate or home Jersey, it just got old really fast where it's, again, it's a, it looks like a bad Christmas sweater all the time. And I don't know. It, it, it's something that I think they want to get away from, but at the same time, I think there's, they get a lot of pushback from their season ticket holders. I don't know. I know they've done surveys. I'm, I'm not a season ticket holder. I haven't been privy to see one, but I know they've done surveys about it. So let's also talk about, you also are editor for crease and assist. You blog. (laughs) Yeah. This is, we're now, We've talked about the past. We've talked yeah. about kind of that middle, mm-hmm. the like 2000s, 2010s. Yep. Let's, let's talk about the current state of things. Okay. As an Avalanche fan, mm-hmm. top of the world. It's wonderful. It's great. That's easy. <laughs> it's 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 been a long, crazy road. Mm-hmm. Like from the literal seller to the top. Uh huh. Minnesota has been consistently hovering where they are lake wobegon yeah <laughs> above average it's garrison yeah, it, keeler it's garrison yeah. keeler i was literally about to oh that takes me back um but what is there any pressure from fan base from management from any are you comfortable where you are where you're not having bad minnesota hockey as long as minnesota hockey's not bad we're fine is that okay? 
to me no to some yes uh me personally i don't i don't see the point of being above average and just getting one and dones all the time there's enough minnesota's team sports teams that do that already the twins vikings mm. i mean those teams have all been sitting in kind of a uh, an above average purgatory forever and I realized that there might be this fear that if the wild ever were to really be in the basement, that somehow it would bring up like the fears that that they're going to leave or something. But I think people need to really check that and be like, no, that's not going to happen. But at the same time, just being above average means you're kind of destined to be continuing to be above average. You don't, we're not going to end up with, unless we stumble onto it through sheer luck, like, Kirill Kaprizov, you're going to be stuck with, you know, guys that have like second and third, third line, you know, potential as forwards, because that's through your drafting in the latter half of the draft all the time. And I've, I've, I'm a little bit maybe on the outside than uh, other groups that uh, I'm willing to be bad in order to be good. Because to me, looking at Colorado, mind you, Colorado had some fortuitous timing because that's always a big part of it. And I think that, well, let's face it. You got to be bad in the right years. Yeah. You know, if, if there's a, if there's a draft that's weak or crappy, being bad doesn't really help that much. That's you know? why I, that's why I'm bringing up Minnesota is, is this the time to be bad with the way contracts are structured with the top of that central? Personally, I think yes, but the, the, the timing, here's the timing part. You have Kabril Kaprizov right now locked in for another four years. You're trying to convince him to eventually, hopefully, sign a contract extension to continue to be your superstar for the foreseeable future. How do you convince him to want to stick around if you're just going to turn into the, you know, a pit? And unfortunately, because of the contracts that we had, which we bought out, Mm-hmm. which I totally agree that we bought him out. Trust me. I thought Brian Suter and Zach Parisi were horrible cancers to the locker room. I advocated that for years before it happened. Unfortunately, we got terribly punished because of it. And the timing now puts, puts us in a really awkward state where it's going to be really difficult to be truly competitive in the sense of being a Stanley cup contender. If we're even close to that, which I don't think we are. Um, but at the same time, you're trying to convince this guy, you should stay here. Yeah. And, and the unfortunate thing too, with his contract is the fact that, um, two years from now, that's when his no movement clause kicks in. And so to me, maybe I'm, maybe this is the cynical person to me. Cause if you don't know much about me, I am a bit of the, I consider, I don't know. I guess you could say my my spirit animal is Socrates. I am mm. the I am the stinging gadfly on the furled rump of the wild fan base, and I am not afraid to ask the uncomfortable question. And I really believe that because of his contract, the wild really need to consider if they don't believe a, uh, an extension is possible two years from now, they really have to consider trading him. Yeah. Because you cannot afford to lose him for nothing. And I know that's sacrilege to say, considering how long we waited to actually have a superstar. But at the same time, you know, as it happened, 
the last time we had a star player, like, which was Marion Gabrick, and we let him go for nothing, that dogged the team for basically the next seven or eight years, you know, because we didn't have that kind of player. And, you know, we kept trying to find him through free agency, and it, that's that's a really tough thing to do. They don't just – they just don't happen, as our franchise history definitely shows. Yeah, and – and I, I also handled the avalanche that same way. I don't mm-hmm. drink the Kool-Aid all the time. Oh, I don't um, at all. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's great to be at the top and have the cup and say all this wonderful stuff about this is how you should do it. It mm-hmm. helps when you draft a Kale McCarr and yeah. everybody else doesn't. Um, Nathan like, McKinnon, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and to, but it also takes, like, it takes cojones to say no to Ryan O'Reilly, no to Matthew yeah. Shane, no mm-hmm. to Stasny, no to Tyson Berry, and say, this is the core we want to build around. I know you're talented and contribute, but you're not going to be a long-term thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, with Minnesota, other than Krill the Thrill, is there a core to build on? Where is it? And what do you do in goal? <laughs> well, <laughs> like how I stuck I think, that last one in there. <laughs> well, I think the goaltender part actually is the easiest one to answer. Um, I think it's clear that I think their hopes are resting on Jesper Wallstead for sure. And that's, that's the plan really moving forward. I, I don't think they would have made some of the moves they did, like, you know, moving, uh, in, um, and then bringing in Fleury, um, with the idea that they had this future number one in mind. Mm-hmm. So I think he's really their, at least their long, at least the long-term plan to be the, the anchor, hopefully in a couple of years. Um, as far as the core, to, I mean, obviously, so he'd be a core piece. Um, otherwise I would say in terms of my people, I would say is the core, well, Jared Spurgeon's here whether you want him or not because yeah. uh, he's a he's got a no movement clause. I think he's signed for the next six or seven years. Uh, Jonas Brodin, uh, and I say that in a good way because I think he's very underrated. Um, beyond that, uh, you have Matt Boldy, who I think is yeah, true, obviously starting to to blossom, and hopefully will get better. Um, and then it really comes down to their young core of prospects, which are now starting to, to get closer to maturity. Um, Marco Rossi, and then, of course, their, their long, really loaded list of defensemen, like uh, Kalen Addison will probably get his opportunity, Brock Favor, Carson Lambos, those kinds of guys. And, um, you know, then the, the forward hopefuls, you know, uh, Yurov looks good. Who's Nadinov looks good. So it's really kind of looking into the future, but we're still going to have to wait a couple years for them all to be here. Um, and I think that's kind of what we're banking on, at least at this point. Um, but in the, in the here and now, at least probably for the next three years, it's probably Kirill and not much else, at least in terms of hope. Because something I always spin as a cautionary tale to like Avalanche fans now like getting Nathan McKinnon, Kale McCarr, Miko, mm-hmm. like list the roster, like having mm-hmm. them now here and now is one thing. Yeah. Having the central 
in their timeline is another. Yeah. Mm-hmm. St. Louis is on the way down. Um, yeah. Yep. Minnesota is, yeah, Minnesota is where they always are. Yep. But Anaheim is starting to make some moves, and yeah. they're trying to they're trying to build something. L.A. is trying to build something. Mm-hmm. Arizona and Chicago are clearly at the bottom, fighting for the number one. Yeah. So, with the timeline now, it's favorable for the Avs. Mm-hmm. It'll be favorable for the Avs next year, yes. possibly the year after. Yep. But you have, like, St. Louis falling down, which only rises Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And then whatever Chicago and Arizona plans on doing in the future. Now they start, after, and they're behind L.A. and Anaheim. All these teams are building. Mm-hmm. So when do you get on the merry-go-round? Because eventually, I hate to tell you, uh, Father Time is undefeated. And the Avalanche will be a getting older team. Especially, we're coming up on Nathan McKinnon's contract next year. Mm-hmm. He wants to be the richest player, and understandably. And deservedly, yep. he wants to be the richest player in hockey. Um, eventually, that contract's going to be ugly. It's going to be Kovalchuk ugly towards the end of his life. Um, <clears throat> Minnesota, you said two, they have a couple years before their prospects start making waves on the team and you yep. can start building things around. Does that, in turn, not rule favorably for Minnesota? I think it actually, well, I think, I think it's favorable because we do have a lot of young pieces in the pipeline that'll be coming into fruition. But what that makes it challenging for is I know there's a lot of pressure from people. Oh, go get JT Miller or go try to get these kinds of players. Well, the problem is at some point, if you start to develop the talent, the way you think that talent's going to develop, you're going to have to pay them mm-hmm. and you've got to have the space to pay them. Otherwise you're going to find them priced out. And then you're having to deal them when you don't really want to, Um, you know, for example, you know, just what we saw just this, obviously early in the summer, uh, you know, the Minnesota wild more or less because of cap constraints was compelled to move Kevin Fiala. Yeah. uh, The person who had the second uh, best season in Minnesota wild history, other than Kaprizov in the same season. And that was 85 point score, you know, and why? Because, there were probably some deals that Bill Guerin maybe has some impulse buys he shouldn't have done. You know, he was like the little kid at the supermarket who sees a candy bar and throws it into the basket. We, we didn't need to do that. And yeah. that cost, that cost us the space. So then we, we had no choice but to deal him uh, because if you think about it, you know, he's a, he's a still a relatively young player entering his prime. That's exactly the kind of player you'd want to keep around, but instead we had to we had to send him away, and it, and, and that and let's face it we we don't have a long history of you know scores in our system we just don't. And with if you like you see what's happened in Chicago like last yeah. year they had they had Flurry they had Seth Jones and yep. there was that little bit of like rumor and hype before the season started that Chicago is going to start um, making waves and. They might make a cup run this year. It's mm-hmm. the last run for Taze and Kane, especially with this, these acquisitions. And then everything went south all at once, right out of the gate. And yep. they can't fully commit to this rebuild because, yes, everybody's on the move. Everybody's jumping ship. They can't move from that Seth Jones contract. 
it's yep. bad. It's ugly. Yep. And you're holding on to it, trying to do one thing. And when it all fell apart, now you knock the house down and there's one pillar you can't get rid of. Yep. Well, and, and I say that's, that's another thing that as a wild fan, and again, the stinging gadfly that I try to be, um, is look at all the no movement clauses Minnesota has. Uh, we have more no movement clauses. I think we're tied for first with three other teams, I think with five. And I think four of those or three of those are on our defense. Well, like cement blocks, you can't move because those players have all the leverage to say whether they leave or stay. Um, you know, Jared Spurgeon, he has a very loyal following of fans that, you know, love this undersized defenseman that plays above his weight. But he's signed until he's 38 and he has a no movement clause. And we signed, we made that deal, I think, when he was 30. Why? You know, it's like the, you know, it's, it's the, it's, at times I feel like our team and our organization is like overly sentimental and we hold on to them longer than we should. And like you said, they become things you can't move. And then when you need to make a move, you can't. Yep. Yeah. Minnesota's got more clauses than a Christmas village. Um, yeah, <laughs> nice <it's>... one. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's one of those things that like, you you want Minnesota to, as a hockey fan at at my core, I'd like to see them just do a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's they're consistently like right there. Mm-hmm. They're a teaser. And yeah, and you want to see them do a little bit more because it's like an. I can't tell you how sick I am of every time the playoffs roll around. It's St. Louis, Minnesota. Yep. Because that's we're, we're sick of it too. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I'm like, well, I know exactly what's going to be in this matchup, so yeah. I really don't have to tune in because it's year in, year out, mm-hmm. and it's you'll get the the weird like Dallas, Minnesota. And you're like, oh, well, this yeah. will be interesting, but you know what you're getting, and yep. I want Minnesota to surprise me. Yep. Oh. Um, you know, you're kind of saying like it's it's deja vu all over again. I think that's a Yogi Berra quote. It is. Um, and uh, I mean, the the story of the Minnesota Wild, you know, they, it's, I don't know, to use a wild player, Charlie Coyle was good for this, where he'd make like a remarkable play and you're like, holy crap. And then, then, then of course, you know, you never see it for another three or four weeks. And that's the wild, you know, where they'll do these incredible things at times where it'll take you out of your seat in terms of like, how did they pull that off, like a comeback, or, or all the times last year when they pulled their goalie and put a goal? You know, we had a lot of uh, empty or, you know, goals with the extra attacker last year that saved us. You know, got us points. Uh, a lot of pulled out a lot of wins that way. Well, they do that, and then you know they get to the playoffs, and it's kind of like half the team really wants to be the other half doesn't seem to want to be there, and then you know it's like the same old story and we're all waiting for it to turn the page. So you feel like you got T. So like last year, best season in Minnesota franchise history. So what? Another first round loss. It didn't. And, and again, if, if you look at our fan base, there's a segment of fans that are so, you know, they're like, Oh, you know, we had a hundred point season from a player for the first time, uh, our best season ever. And they're all happy. And then there's the other part that's like, well, it's another first round loss. So there's like two different camps yeah. and, and they don't get along. 
you know, well, it's true. It's, it's, it's kind of like a homers versus non-homers. If you're a homer, you're buying the idea that, see, this is the team that Billy built. We're on the way. And then the other part's saying, same old wild. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. And my last question to you. Sure. Across enemy lines before we wrap up. Your goal song. Oh, God. Shout. You like it? Horrible. Okay. Can't stand it. I I mean, we had, well, originally it was the, what, rock and roll part two or whatever I that everyone 90%, had. Then, yeah, I think 90% yeah. of the NHL well, had that as a goal song at one point. Well, there. that actually started, the Minnesota North Stars were the first to have that song. And so that was kind of a link to that. And then, then for years it was crowd chant. And then, of course, after Prince died, there was this big push to, um, you know, change it again. And then the, the season ticket holders apparently wanted crowd chant back. So then they would do crowd chant at the end of the game if we won, even though the goal song was still Prince, you know, um, let's go crazy. But, and then I guess the, the team picked shout. That, that was what the, the players picked and it's horrible. <laughs> I hate it. I will say that my favorite thing Minnesota has done was go with let's go crazy. Cause that just hits especially after a really good goal that really hits. Yeah. I, like I just, I thought that was the best move they possibly could make. And then when they kind of shifted from that, I was like, never mind. Yeah. My, my friends have a theory that it's just because people can't stand up and like clap to it or chant to it as much. So they wanted crowd chant back. Cause that was, I, easy. Don't, I don't know if uh, those people have ever been around a hockey game. And after a goal scored, the last thing I want to do is something else with everybody else in a uniform fashion. I'm just cheering and celebrating my team. Mm-hmm. I hear you. Um, yeah, it's it's something that needs to be changed, and hopefully it's something they do change this year because shout didn't make anybody really want to shout other than <laughs> just shut it off. <laughs> That's what you're shouting. Shut it off. Shut it off. Got <laughs> <Cut> the music. <laughs> Well, well, I just want to say one other thing. Uh, yes. From a wild fan perspective, since you wanted kind of that viewpoint, I think one of the things that really, um, I'll admit that as a North Stars fan, I was kind of intermittent because the Gophers were really my jam as a kid. That's really what my dad introduced me to was the Gophers. Mm-hmm. And the Gophers were always one of the preeminent pro- programs in college hockey. And those games were always exciting. Um, where... When the, when the, it was announced that the Wild would have a team, I jumped in with both feet because it's one of those unique opportunities to start with the franchise. Mm-hmm. And and you want you feel like you have that perspective. I know when you were talking with Neil, you kind of discussed this a little bit too, but you feel like you've jumped in at the start, so you feel like you've, you've owned it. And the yeah. fact that I've been there from day one, you know, that's kind of something you pride yourself with. And I... And when I know when the Kraken came to the league, I told people, embrace this. This is a special time where you can say you were there from the start yep. and, and enjoy it. Um, and, and I was there when, you know, the Wild, if you look at the Wild's opening day roster, it was literally like, huh, who? Like, there was nobody on that team. Our yeah. payroll was only $16 million. 16 With we six had, new, no move clauses. <laughs> Well, not not then. Actually, everyone's like on one year deals. 
because all those guys wanted the opportunity to leave if they could. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, there's a whole book about it called How to Bake a Franchise by Tom Lynn, our former assistant general manager. And he talked about how you had to be careful with that because some of those guys were like, here, give me my paycheck. I'm leaving. Man. <laughs> but anyways, um, you know, I remember the, I mean, the 2003 run, which I know sticks maybe in your craw a little bit, but it was kind of like the Florida Panthers in 96. Yeah. They were, we were a team of, unlike the Vegas Golden Knights, which tried to say they were cast-offs, we were literal cast-offs. We were guys, we were guys that had had chances to play in the NHL, but couldn't sticks. So this was their opportunity to play like West Walls, Auntie Laxanen, um, Jim Dowd. They were literally NHL cast-offs from all over the place. And Jacques Lemaire, um, who's still my favorite wild coach, uh, and I know we were like the anti-avalanche. You guys were fun and exciting, star-studded. We were the team of nobodies, but we played a system that made things hell for everybody we played against. We were plotting, we were defensive, and, and in 2003, somehow we found a way to score in overtime and win overtime, which we didn't the previous two years. And they went on an improbable run where we, we were better than the sum of our parts. And, yeah. and that's something I'll never forget. That was, you know, I realized it's definitely the farthest the wild has ever been. But that was a magical year. It was my first year of teaching, too. So I remember staying up because the 9.30 starts for the Vancouver series were horrible. And I told my students, like, I might be really weird because, of course, when you win a game at almost 12.30 and, you know, like after midnight, it's hard to go to sleep. Yep. But it was a fun mm-hmm. run, and I would never trade it for anything. Well, you know, Derek, I know we're... I'm sorry uh, for talking so much. No, that, that's literally the point of a podcast. I'm glad you are talking a lot because um, people don't want to hear me. They want to hear Minnesota stories. <laughs> I would like to, from across enemy lines, say you're one of the good ones. You're one of the good ones. So all all's fair here. It's a ceasefire between this one. And thanks for coming on and sharing your story. And if you happen to uh, spark the ear of some listening Minnesota Wild fans or change the heart of some Colorado Avalanche fans who want to follow you some more. How can they find you? Well, probably easiestly or e- the easiest way to do it is um, uh, on Twitter at crease and assist. Um, you caught me at a weird time. Cause I'm probably going to be switching my blog. I've had crease and assist for a long time. And I, it's at, it's through a website called the sports daily, mm-hmm. but I'm going to be transitioning soon to a website called inside hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it's really just my own little transition, but you know, if catching me on Twitter is probably the, the safest way to do it. Um, I guess since I didn't really introduce myself, I've been blogging for about 18 years. So again, it's kind of like that idea that I've been there, done that. I've been through the tough times. I've been through the good times. And I feel like I have a, a pretty good perspective of what this team's all about. Not just yeah, a yeah. Johnny come lately kind of thing. Yeah, it comes with substance, and you can yep. point to, like, history. I, uh, yeah, you can point to history and say, this is why I've seen it happen this way yep. or this way. This is why it should go this way. I completely understand that. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say that that's why, like, with the, I know a lot of 
a certain segment of wild fans are all excited about our prospect pool. It's been highly touted and all that stuff. And as a person who's been there before, we've, there have been, you know, about 10 years ago, we had heard the same thing and, you know, we know where that, we know how that resulted. So they don't like hearing that, but it's true. It was hyped just as much. It's just yeah. with Twitter, it makes it a little louder. Oh, it makes it a lot louder. Trust me. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. But Derek, I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and definitely give Derek a follow. And if this is your first time stopping by here in Puckburg, you can follow the show on Twitter at HPuckburg on Twitter here underscore N underscore Puckburg on Instagram. We're on YouTube. You can see NHL 97 right now. If you hurry up and get over to YouTube <laughs> and uh, we will uh, again, thank you so much for coming by and we will catch you again on the next episode real soon.